Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey everybody, welcome to part two of our PAX 2022 recap. If you want to hear the first part, listen to last Sunday's episode, where we talk about our arrival and all the things we did on Friday. But now, enjoy part two of our PAX recap. Yeah, so uh, Saturday, started. yeah, like I spent less time in the vendor hall because I'd already seen so many things. Uh, should we just like take turns? Because we, we all kind of split off and did our own thing. Yep. Um, Until the evening, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so here, I'll, I'll go through mine because I, I think I have more than anybody else. I'll go through mine quickly. Yep. Um, I met with uh, Czech Games Edition. They uh, showed me Deal with the Devil, which is a four-player only app-based hidden like role, completely competitive game. That's all I'll say about that, because <laughs> we're just clearly never covering it. And I got to see Starship Captains, but I'll save that because we played that Saturday night. So I think it's more interesting to talk about when we played it. But then uh, the only one that's like new that I got to see is uh, they did tell me about the second expansion coming for Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, there are going to be two new leaders, which are like kind of the unique characters they added in the first expansion. There's going to be a printed version of the campaign that's been available in the app so far. And it's really good, like the solo campaign with uh, I think some additions and like changes. But then uh, the thing that's most exciting for me, but that they had no details on besides this, is that there's going to be co-op play. Um, and I think maybe even the solo campaign will be co-op playable. So uh, we, I think, well, all three of us, Jerry, do you like it? Or does oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. like, so, yeah, all, like all three of us really like Lost Ruins of Arnak. Yep. Like uh, definitely one of the better. And my family likes it as game. well. Nice. So yeah, so, so slam dunk whenever this expansion is ready, we're going to cover it and be excited for it. But that's about all I got. I played a game called Conquest Princess that's going to be coming to crowdfunding next year. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not sure yet how I feel about it. It's like super crazy theme, like as crazy as uh, Cosmoctopus, just name dropping uh, Henry Audubon's game. You're like a part of like fashion police on a spaceship that turns into a robot that surfboards. But you're like trying to like fight like a fashion maven that's nicknamed after Mugatu from Zoolander. And like you're jumping down to planets, but it's like sort of pandemic ish. But you're trying to like capture like pieces. But then there's like different scenarios that all like combine together. I don't really know how I feel about it yet, but uh, it was fun. And the designer's an awesome guy. So I will look into it more and potentially do a video. I played Final Girl Season 2. Uh, they had early, like, airlifted uh, copies of the Season 2 uh, bosses and stages. Uh, Liz and I played it again. That's sort of like a PAX tradition now. Like, we've played Final Girl in one form or another uh, together, like, solo together every PAX. And uh, we played the Alien-inspired one. Two. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, fair enough. No, no, because no, we played Three. the... Three. Yeah, it was three packs is like when Final Girl was first announced, we also played it. And that was like when we did our reviews and stuff of it. So I continue to love Final Girl. We played uh, as the Ellen Ripley inspired uh, heroine against the alien inspired boss on the Sulaco. Is that or no? Nostromo was the first movie, right? Nostromo was the first Sulaco. I mean, I will say that they mix some things. It has like some aliens and alien mixed in there. We airlocked the alien. It was great. I played Where's My Ride, which I think is currently on crowdfunding from what's the betting one that also have the dungeon crawler, like the D&D betting drinking game. Red Dragon Inn. Yeah, Red Dragon Inn. Thank you. So it's for the people to do Red Dragon Inn. But yeah, so it's uh, Where's My Ride. It's on crowdfunding. It's a Mysterium-esque, but quicker and simpler, like uh, giving clues visually. Like you're basically, and you're trying to figure out like where the car is out of these locations. It was fine. Tagline is a cooperative game of deduction and emojis. Yes. Yeah. So, so basically one side communicates <laughs> through emojis and the other side communicates through texts on like the ride app cards that have like text messages. So it was like these vague text messages, these vague emojis, these like nine or 12 locations that the car could be on. And you're trying to figure out, like, you know, again, it reminded me a lot of Mysterium, except, like, more vagueness in, like, language and emojis instead of, like, art. So, example is one of these says fun and profit. There's the kif- kissy emoji. There's one that says disinfected, and it's got the poop emoji and the, like, celebration emoji with the, like, party hat on it. And then another one says porta potty and it's got, like, somebody with a monocle and somebody else slapping themselves in the face. So, Yeah. If I'm looking at these cards as clues, I have no idea what is going on. Like, so, but like the 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 map is like an aerial view of the locations. 
So what I found myself doing was like giving clues that sort of match. And, and also they have names of like the place, like the gym or like the food store, like, you know, whatever. So actually it did work pretty well. Like we were able to okay. communicate. I got, I guessed it when we had like, you're basically the ride ranking is going down. So it starts at five stars and you slowly go down to like four, three, two as you take longer. So I think I got like a three star win. So it was fun. You know, I, I, I think it's a lot smaller and easier to teach for something like Mysterium and definitely faster. So I'd probably pick to play it over Mysterium, but certainly Mysterium is a more involved and interesting and like pretty game. I mean, that's um, something though, because Mysterium's like was a big deal not long ago. So to say that you would choose this over Mysterium's, it, oh, but that's just because I don't want to play Mysterium for two hours. You know, okay. and this game was 15 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I think that says more about Mike than the Yeah, game. that's more about me and my game. gaming preferences <laughs> and what I have time for, like with big, like, because there's like a more party based cooperative game, and I don't need those to be long generally. Yeah, he's a sucker for the poop emoji. That too. That too. Three more quick ones. I played this. I had it next to me because they gave me like a little. This is, this is two entire fighters. There's another 1v1 game, Pocket Wait. Paragons. Pocket oh, yeah. Paragons. I played Pocket that. Paragon. That, that. That'll look great on the podcast, Mike. Yeah, he said... Um, yeah, so it's it's a three-minute... It literally takes that long. <laughs> it's a three-minute dueling game with unique characters. Because it's three minutes, I don't find it nearly as enthralling as the bigger games that I like. But, you know, it has its place. But what I'm really excited, or at least intrigued by, is that they have a solo mode. Now, they didn't have it for me to play there. But it's going to be um, baked in, kind of like Maximum Apocalypse with their backwards compatibility. It's going to be baked into like every set you buy from now on. It's very rock um, paper scissors, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, a, it is. I, not not as it's not as extreme in the rock paper scissors as something like Yomi, because there's like six suits. So the rock paper scissors is not as direct, and you don't like you're not always countering each other that way. So it's rock but paper it, scissors lizard Spock. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. I'm excited to hopefully cover the solo mode uh, if they can, you know, get it to me or if I could find it to buy. Last two Starfighters. This one I think was on crowdfunding earlier this year. It's a real time tactical kind of dog Starfighters Rapid Fire. That's the whole name. Yeah, real time like dog fighting on a little map, like Fast and Furious looking kind of game. Got cool and it has a solo mode where like you're fighting against like a space station, but they still have like they 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 have like an app or a timer, and like every 10 seconds something bad. Like if you don't do something before like this 10 or 15 second timer goes off, then the enemy attacks before you do, and you have to stop rolling. So if you want to get initiative, you have to like finish before the timer goes off. I'm I'm vaguely interested in it. Uh, I like the little tactical. It's got cool you know, little quick. minis and like yeah, it's, it's got tiny, cool like in the board. It looks like. Yeah, it's, it looks very small, very quick, very light. Again, like some of them I play with my kids. The last one, one of the ones that I'm most excited to play, but I did not get a chance to demo it, but I've been hearing great things from everyone who's tried it, is Clank Catacombs, the latest Clank set. So basically, I did get to watch it explained and watch some other people playing. The big, like, kind of major change here is that now the dungeon is procedurally generated by the players from a set of tiles. Uh, so they have rules about, like, how the artifacts, if you don't know Clank, you're, like, going into a dungeon, grabbing an artifact and running out and trying to, like, escape with the most victory points. So now they have, like, a rule for how the artifacts come out based on how deep in the dungeon you are. But whenever you move into a place, you get to flip the tile and then you get to rotate it to any of the four orientations and kind of like set it up so that it's most advantageous for you. They have a whole, it's like a standalone, but you can still combine it with uh, the old Clank stuff. And yeah, I've just heard like the dungeon exploration is way more interesting. The big one that I'm interested in is that uh, they always have had a solo app for Clank games, both for original Clank and Clank in space. And I've heard from people who have played this one that it's like far and away the best one and the most interesting. I don't know why yet. <laughs> I, I should have downloaded it and looked at it, but I've heard that it is the best. So from everything I hear, except for maybe maybe the legacy, which I've heard is really good, this appears to be by far the and, and certainly the best one-off way to play Clank and the only the best solo way to play Clank. So yeah, I'm really hoping to get a chance to actually play this. You know what these tiles remind yet. me of is Suro. Yeah, I mean Clank, Clank's always had like kind of that that pathing, but you're right. The 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 two on each side the is two very on Suro-ish. each side. So if you don't know Suro, it's a game where you're like just trying not to bump into each other's. Each of the tiles. They're trying not to hit a dead end. 
thought. Or hit or a fly dead off end. The board. Fly or, off the edge. Fly, fly off the edge. There, there are no dead ends. The only deadness is flying off the edge. Or, I mean, there's or dead ends each that will other. save you. If you yeah, run yeah. into each other, you both get knocked out. But basically, each of the tiles there has two things on each end, but it's really what's in the middle that makes them different. And you just have to follow the path in Suro. But here, it's very similar where you have two things on each end and any of these tiles can combine with each other. So it doesn't matter how you place it, the orientation, as Mike said, you'll always come up with this unique map each time you play it. Yeah, and they and they played with like a different map each time a bit with Clank in Space where you had like these big boards that would go together slightly differently each game. But I've just heard this is like way more exciting and interesting and varied like play to play. And I already mm-hmm. enjoy base Clank. Oh, and also like they added other things. It's 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 harder to get stuck in the dungeon now because you have like these teleporters you can use. You just might not get as many victory points, which I, I know has been a complaint of the game. So it sounds like, at least for me and my taste, probably the best version of the game and one I really want to try. Cool. All right. Nothing else? Yeah, that's that. Yeah, sorry. That was a lot of Mike, but that's it until Saturday night playing. All right. Jerry, you did role playing most of the day, right? Or did you have any board games? I checked out some of the stuff in the hall. Really, the only one I'll mention is one called The Shivers, which mm. is a. It seemed almost like a mystery game, like an escape room kind of thing. But the the gimmick is that there's these rooms that are essentially pop-ups. So you open the room and then they pop up with like furniture and all the other stuff. That's and then you cool. can yeah, and you can make the room different from scenario to scenario by putting a piece of cardboard in the back that kind of sits in a slot that changes up some of the things. So like in one scenario, a bookshelf might have certain books on it that you could investigate. But in mm. another scenario, it might have you know, a bust on there instead. So I thought you were going to say you could change the rooms with scissors. I was like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway, it looked interesting. It seemed a little bit more freeform than I would really consider a traditional board game because it has, it has to have a game master and it's not supposed to be adversarial, like one versus many, but the game master is kind of just facilitating the game for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And they have to make decisions like what, like the players can decide to do something off the wall and the game master has to decide whether they could do it. And if so, you know, should they roll a die to get it done or should insanity ensue or whatever uh, guided by this, um, by the scenario book that they're given. So it's almost uh, RPG light kind of thing. Uh, it seemed like it might be an interesting family game, but it was a crowdfunded game that should be shipping to backers shortly, I think, or hmm. even now it'd be in the process of doing so. So it might be something to look at if you're interested in like mystery puzzle games that you want to play with uh, perhaps a family. But other than that, I did do one RPG at uh, PAX and that was the one ring. Again, I had also done that at Gen Con and my review is the same basically as it was at Gen Con, uh, which is I had a blast playing it. I think that might've been due to the game master and not the mechanics. I still can't figure out whether I like the mechanics or not, but yet again, I had fun playing the game so at some point you know how many times do i have to play it and have fun playing the game where the mechanics don't really matter anymore or maybe it's the mechanics that are facilitating the fun and i just don't recognize Mm -hmm. it but yeah yet again i had fun but the feeling is it was despite the the core system in the game so i won't get into not not because of so saturday was my family day My wife and two kids came in. It was my son's 15th birthday, so I really wanted to make it a fun day for him. So we spent the whole day together. We honestly didn't play a whole lot. We ended up getting going to Wild Bill's and getting sodas, which is a thing that they have at all the conventions where you, like, buy a mug for, like, 40 bucks. But then, like, any convention you go to in the future, you pay $7 a day to get unlimited refills. Now, that unlimited refills is very limited, first of all, by your (laughs) bladder size. But also because there are huge lines at these things, and so it takes a while for you to fill up uh, and get a refill. So we ended up doing that. So it took some time to do those things. Then we went and got lunch together. Then my kids wanted to paint miniatures. And while they were doing that, my wife saw a game earlier that she was interested in called Habitats. And I thought this was a new game, but apparently came out in 2016. Who knew? Apparently Um, the publishers. (laughs) I mean, the publisher's new. So we did play the newest version, which was by BoardGameTables.com. And it's an interesting game, but Jerry and I will talk about it more later. But basically, you are grabbing tiles from a middle row as you move your, like, there are these little, like, jeeps you move around. And you're picking up tiles as you go. 
and placing them on your personal like map board in front of you. And as you place animals, you're trying to place habitats next to them that they want to live in. And once you do that, you put a little check mark on them or they have uh, little meeples you could put on that are like custom to every different animal, which was ridiculous, but it's how we played at the con. And so you put these little things on to mark that basically you scored that tile and you uh, get the points for it. The most interesting thing for me was at the end of every round, which is different based on like round one, like for a two player game, it was like 10 turns and then it was seven turns for round two and seven more turns for round three. But you have the, you're going to have two goals that you're trying to achieve and whoever gets like more in those two goals um, will score the points for that round. But then everything else just scores at the end. So I don't know. I found it interesting, but we'll get Jerry's take on it later. We obviously liked it enough to buy it. Uh, so this was a purchase for me. And that's really all I did during the day Saturday until I went to WizKids at the end of the day. So I guess I'll talk about that because is that did you guys cover everything until that evening, basically? Yep. Yep. Okay. So then I went to WizKids, uh, not WizKids. I was about to say, we already talked about WizKids. Yeah, yep. yeah. No, it wasn't. It was uh, Ascension. No, Stoneblade. So I went to Stoneblade, and they were talking about they have a new version of Ascension Tactics coming out, which is going to be backward compatible, but it'll also be standalone. So it'll come with standees, but they're very cool 3D printed miniatures they had with it. One of the cool new mechanics they had, so if you think of Ascension, which is a deck builder, Ascension Tactics is a deck builder with a board where you are moving around trying to control points to score victory points or crystals or whatever they call it. So as you, you normally you just use attack to like do damage to an enemy, but when you use attack in a, Ascension Tactics, it's to activate troops that you have on the board. They'll move a certain number of spaces. Again, you're you're trying to get things. One of the cool parts about the original Ascension Tactics is that it's solo co-op, which was playable for only one or two players. Well, with this new expansion, not only do they have new mechanics, so if you think of a deck builder, every time they come up with a new expansion, they're going to have new mechanics. Uh, What they have here is heroes that upgrade. So for example, they have Arha Paladin, and it's a slay transform into the Manicore Knight. So Hmm. you flip the card over, and now you replace the miniature or standee with this freaking cool knight riding on a manacore, right? It changes their stats, all this. So basically whenever they defeat another unit, they can upgrade to this like more powerful unit, which was kind of cool. So I guess I should have looked up Ascension Tactics for people on the, uh, that is the, uh, that is the, uh, sorry. He's had a stroke. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to type at the same time. Uh, so, so I can look up the game so I can show pictures because I've done it for literally every other game except for this one. So that is the point of Ascension Tactics. You are basically going around and on a board. But so, uh, not only do they have new mechanics in this one, but the cooler part is they've expanded co-op to up to four players. So you can play up to four Mm. players against the AI on this. So, uh, I don't know. I think it's one to keep an eye out for. They are kickstarting it. Crowdfunding. Uh, Crowdfunding, yes, it may not be kickstarted. Let's see. Did you say uh, like March or April? I remember yeah, right? they said early 2023. But they're going to have all new expansions. It is going to continue the story of the first one. But again, if you don't care about the stories of these things, then it doesn't really matter. Um, but basically, you defeated somebody in the first one, apparently. I know, spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I know you're shocked that you actually defeat somebody at the end of it, but then you invade their home world basically. Um, so the maps will be in that vein as well. So you have new maps. It'll be completely standalone, but the nice part is you'll not only their new mechanics, but you'll be able to play it up to four characters or against the AI as well. Mike, I know you didn't come see this with me, but did you have any comments on Ascension tactics or did you want to just keep flowing? Yeah. I mean, no, I, I'm definitely interested in like, you know, more exciting heroes is cool. So they did it like they like level up or transform sounds neat, but uh, I'll just have to see it. And uh, yeah, I'm curious how the four player co-op like pacing will be. I remember I, I thought there were differences in kind of the pacing between solo and co-op. So I'm curious to see how they do kind of upping the player count even more. And then the other big thing they have is uh, Hero Realms Dungeons. I didn't get too much information. No, no, that, that, that was Wise Wizards was with uh, Kapow. Oh, okay. Never mind. 
Yeah. So they have a digital version of that as well, which I, I may end up trying that because they have. Apparently- well, no, that's just regular Hero Realms. Hero Realms Dungeon is an upcoming set for Hero Realms. But uh, J- Jason did a video on it for the main channel already. So I don't think we need to talk about that one too much. It's more Hero Realms. It takes some of like the stuff from the Ruins of Thandar campaign, <laughs> but also like let's see do like one off play or like bring some of the campaign stuff into competitive play. Looks cool. If you like Hero Realms, it's more and cooler Hero Realm stuff. Are there dungeons? Uh, yes, theoretically. Truth in advertising. There you go. <laughs> Clearly. All right. Um, so then that night, I was meant to meet up with you all and play some games. And I got held up grabbing my dinner. And you guys just started without me. So yep. uh, <laughs> that's why I literally played no more games with them. They literally grabbed Jason and Jeremy. And they're like, I was completely replaced. So you played what? The, the captain's game, Starship Captains? Yeah, we played Starship Captains four player with Jeremy Howard and uh, Jason Perez, and then Set a Watch. Did Jason swap out with Liz for that one? Yeah. Did you want? Oh, to that's talk right. But we bit? we played that after Heat, and we also yes. played Heat with Liz and Jeremy. So Jeremy Howard was in all the games. Jason for Starship Captains. So I guess we can just go in order. So yeah, Starship Captains. I mentioned that's a new one from Czech Games Edition. Uh, it's one to four players. So you got a solo mode. I haven't tried that yet, but it's a uh, very quick light kind of worker placement although like you don't really place the workers worker use worker management i don't know uh but you have like these little crew member meeples (laughs) and you're using them to take actions on your spaceship you're also like leveling up your spaceship with these tech cards and you're moving around to these planets uh fighting pirates and completing uh sort of star trek themed missions it's all like very much kind of in the art style of a star trek parody or homage however you want to say it Anyway, yeah, you only play over four rounds. Like I said, it's very quick. And probably the most like unique mechanical thing is this like queue of your workers, of your crew members, in that uh, as you use them, they go to the back of the queue. And at the start of each round, you push all of them forward except the last three. So some of your workers will kind of be out of commission and out of availability. You can also like level them up and make them commanders or turn them into like different colors to access different actions more. So, yeah, uh, that's kind of like the core of it. Uh, Jerry, sure how, how do you feel about this one from your first game? Uh, I mean, I won, so it's one of the best games I've ever played. Now, it's good, but not great, in my opinion. Uh, I, you know, I enjoyed playing it, but the theme wasn't quite as strong as I would have liked. Like, some of it is just, like, Euro tracks. Like, go here, complete this mission, and move two on the track. It seemed kind of thematically disconnected but uh it is quick which is a a nice feature and it's cute and the the mechanics were inoffensive so i mean that that sounds worse than it than i mean it uh i did have fun playing it but it's not the best game i've ever played yeah i i would say so far uh not having tried the solo mode yet I'm, i'm in about the same place i appreciated how fast it was i'm also like worried it's almost too fast but, you know, it was a four-player game. Well, that's weird. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, when I'm playing a two-player and it's over in half an hour, is it going to seem too fast? I don't know. The art's great. I like the components. Uh, I agree with Jerry that the theme is not really living as much as I wish it would as a big Star Trek fan. But it's fun to level up your ship. The actions are kind of fun to figure out. It's, like, a little bit puzzly, but it's not too tough. I can definitely play it with, like, my oldest, um, which is a benefit for me. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking for like a heavy Euro, this is not going to yeah. do anything for you. <laughs> nope. Yeah, and I think this is one you probably want to look up either on Board Game Geek while you're hearing about it or, you know, watch the YouTube stream because the the components tell you a lot. Yeah, and I'll, I'll do a video of the solo mode soon. So, you know, I'll, I'll give my thoughts then. But uh, yeah, like Jerry said, I had a fun time. I have no problem playing it again. I'm, I'm going to play it again. Um, it will not be my top game of the year. <laughs> nice. All right. So you played the original set of watch. We well, yeah, have first, we played heat, which oh. is, uh, the very recent, uh, racing game from days of wonder, partially based based on the flamme rouge, uh, racing bike racing system. So it's card based play. It's racing. There you go. That's the entire game right there. Card racing. How, how else it's, it's a it? simplified racing game. Oh, heat pedal to At the least metal. Basic. Yeah. Yes, heat pedal to the metal. All right, I was like, um, why is this? At a- least the base game. I'd say it's like a simplified racing game. Yeah, so they have weather effects you can add. They have AI that I played with today are an incredibly smooth add-in, which is really nice to just even like fill out a competitive game roster or to play it solo. 
Um, they have upgrades. You can kind of like build a unique deck for your car with a ton of upgrade cards. Um, four different tracks in the base game. And I've played, I think, all four of them now. I've been playing this game a lot. This, this uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I said this in my video already, but this was by far my game of the con. Uh, I didn't know it was my game of the con necessarily when I first played it. But having come home now and played it solo several times with my kids several times, uh, this might be one of my top games of the year uh, by the time I play it more. But I love racing games. I can see Jerry's face not feeling that <laughs> positively about it. Uh, so, Jerry, why don't, you talk, why don't you bring me down to earth a little bit? Uh, yeah, I feel like I have to be the voice of sanity here because I keep hearing about, you know, heat. It's awesome. It's awesome. It, it's fine. It's a it's a racing game. You you change gears, you play cards that have numbers on them, and you move that number of spaces. There's no blocking, which is nice in some ways. It's one of the things I didn't like about Rally Man, right. uh, is the blocking aspect. Blocking combined with luck, where you can essentially well, just lose blocking. an entire turn. Right. You can Especially. lose an entire turn. It is a much more forgiving play than Rally yes. Man. R Rally Man being my other favorite racing game, and these are going to be fighting each other, I think, in my brain in the next several months. Yeah, now I I felt you know I and I won heat too. Um just had to throw that in there. But uh it seemed uh somewhat random to me, at least what we played. We only played what we played like Italy two laps or something yeah. like that. And I uh, saw where there was strategy in there and you know the, the pusher luck Jeremy pushed his luck too far and his car essentially blew up right before the finish line. Uh so I won. But uh it, a lot of it seemed a little bit uh, sort of random, especially the drafting thing, uh, whether you are able to draft and advance two spaces or not is essentially random. You're not because there's no blocking. It's not like you can set cars up. You're just guessing at what the other players are going to do. So I'll, I'll disagree a little bit. Having played more, I, I think it it's, feels much less random than rally man and formula D to name two of the other like biggest racing games. Well, yeah, to me, it looks a lot oh, like nice. formula D where you're like trying to hit certain speeds at corners and things like that, except obviously it's card base. So am, am I on base at all with that? Am I off base? Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially so Jerry, like, uh, you know, I've been playing with the AI. So like I'll have five or six cards in the race and, you know, like kind of the spaces people are trying to get to, and how far they can move, like with the turns coming up and stuff. So I've been able to drift like fairly consistently. Well, so, it's a lot easier to drift fairly consistently when there's four other cars. Well, of course, and that's, that's on, what I'm saying. Track, like, I, I, mean, I think I think the ease of using the AI is going to encourage most players to probably have five to six. I don't think there's any reason not to have five to six cars every game. Like literally running the solo turn. Or the AI turn takes five seconds. It's it's minuscule. Well, and that's one <laughs> thing I've heard is that it like because the AI is so easy to run, you want to play this at like maximum player count and just yeah. have the AI in pretty much every game to help with that drifting and everything else. Like it's interesting. They have space in the core box that I got. I, I got a review copy from Asmodee. Did I keep saying drifting? Yeah, like you drafting. did. Slipstreaming. Drafting. Well, no, no, you, you, you said drafting. You said oh, drafting. Okay, well, that's what I meant. They call it slipstreaming in the game. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting that, uh, in the core game, they have, uh, holders for eight cars. They have holders for eight player pawns. They have holders for eight player card decks and they have, uh, on the boards spaces for eight cars, uh, in terms of the placements, like in terms of, uh, where, where you end up in the, uh, ranking. How many cars and does it come with Mike? Six Must cars. Eight. Oh, it, it's it's literally like, it feels like uh, hot dogs and hot dog buns <laughs> all over again. Um, so well, yeah, I imagine the expansion is going to give you two more. Yeah, well, that, like, and and the, and the one thing is that I don't think they maybe they do actually. That I think I, I didn't look at it, uh, but I don't think they had uh, eight cars represented on the solo sh card sheet. Um. But it's also only 10 cards. So if they just had to include 10 cards that had eight colors instead of six <laughs> um, in the expansion, that would not be a you know drastic cost for them in their production. Yes. yes. Um, right. Well, let's go to Set of Watch, unless you get yep. some final thoughts on that one. Yeah, and I'll, I'll let Jerry focus on Set of Watch. I've already reviewed that one, and I talked too much about Heat. So go ahead, Jerry. So this was well, the base game, right? Correct. The, the original game. deluxe edition of the base game. And this was a second review copy we got because we got rid of the first one, right? 
just to be. I, I, I wouldn't even get like they, they just had swag bags people were picking up. So we we happened to randomly get it in a bag. It was yeah, not, it's not like it was a review copy or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. I mean, the, the original review was years ago. Anyway, uh, we mentioned this earlier, uh, but the, the basic summary for me for a set of watches, I really enjoy the core gameplay loop. However, the game is too long at eight rounds and you should never play it with more than three players. Because if you play it with three players, because somebody has to basically watch the campfire every round, uh, which means they sit out and don't do a whole lot. So if you're playing with four players, that's one player every turn does nothing, basically. If you play with three players, you're still playing with four characters. So you have the character that it, that is, you know, you can easily send off one character and then the other uh, the three players still have somebody to actually take actions during mm-hmm. the turn. So I wouldn't recommend this for over three players. Uh, and it again, it's entirely too long, but the core gameplay loop is fun. So I'd be interested in trying some of the later sets where they talk about addressing some of those issues. Yeah, yeah and I'll, 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 I'll just uh, agree with everything Jerry said. I, I also, uh, I never loved how they handled the character abilities because there are some that are just like consistently better than others. So it was just kind of a question of how quickly, first of all, whether you got lucky enough to start with your best ones or how quickly you could cycle you could through them, them with the camp yes, things. That's true. You know, like that, that's a bit annoying, but honestly, like even if they just gave you the best three every game, I wouldn't really care. Like that would be fine because the characters would still feel different. So yeah. So if, if like the new set with like item decks, like you said, Peter, for more variety and a quicker play mode and a campaign mode, I think it all sounds cool. Like I, I'm less excited or I should say I'm more excited about trying Maximum Apocalypse's yeah, newest too. version yep. than I am about playing Set of Watches' newest version. And yet I liked Set of Watch base game better than Maximum Apocalypse base game. I just think this seems less iterative because the core game was already pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was fine. It was fine. So that leads to the second to last game I played at the con. So you're done, right, Mike? You didn't play anything else? Oh, uh, I guess we played a little bit. Of, we exit. started that exit on Sunday, oh, yeah, yeah. but I'm so not worried pl- about that. Yeah, we played a little bit of exit, one of the exits, and then Jerry and I played Habitat. So we can go back to that one real quick. But the big thing that we was looking forward to all weekend was playing Gaia Project with Isaac Childress, designer of Gloomhaven. We played last year. I told the story from PAX last year. Go back and listen to that, because this one's already gotten super long. But basically, it was at the Whiskey Night last year. I was not my my best self, and yet I still almost won. This year, the the awesome rematch, we ended up playing, so I ended up showing up. We decided to do it Saturday night, so not the night of the Whiskey Night. We ended up showing up to play Gaia Project, which is a Euro game for ex- exploration. My One of my favorite... Not 4X. Not at all. You're basically building stuff, building up an engine, whatever else. It's very similar to Terra Mystica, if you've played that. But in my opinion, much better. Where you're just building on planets, you're upgrading your stuff. It's a very economic game. So we ended up playing Saturday night. And uh, so I got there. I ended up setting up and playing this game. And there ended up being five players. Now, if you know anything about Gaia Project, you will know that the box says one to four players on it. And like I said, the solo mode, one of my favorite solo games of all time, the five player mode, there is an official, if you look on BGG, they're like, this is how you'd play with five players. And there is an expansion coming out. So I'm thinking maybe they're going to include rules for five or six players, but certainly you have to have two copies of the game to play five players. It, It is not the way it is certainly intended to be played out of the core box, at least. Um, thankfully, between the five of us, we had four copies of Gaia Project with us. So that that was not a problem. <laughs> uh, so you played 10-player? We did not play 10-player. We did play 5-player. Well, we were originally looking to break it into two games of three, but since we couldn't find anybody else to play that really knew the game, because we were all people who had played the game quite a bit, as with any game you've played quite a bit. I mean, Gaia Project is a pretty long game when you get to three or four players. Playing at five players, we still finish in like two and a half hours. That just says how much the people knew the game, I think. Cause this, Dude, you spent two and a half hours just drafting the races. Yes. At the beginning. So that was the other thing. I'd never played with race drafting at the beginning. Usually it's like the last player gets to pick the race first and then you go around the table. But we not only drafted races, but then we bid on the races with victory points. So we all started with 20 instead of 10. And there was a whole bidding thing that happened. Basically, it, this was all new to me. I hadn't done any of this stuff before, but 
you know, end of the day, we ended up picking out our races. We ended up playing. So, um, yeah, this is this sounds like a lot of excuses for why I didn't do well. But surprise, surprise, out of five players, I finished dead last. <laughs> this did not go as well for me. Uh, and I almost got lapped. This is one of my worst <laughs> games of Gaia Project I've ever played. I clearly made some mistakes early. I never came back from it. Uh, there were three of us that were, I mean, close, within two or three points of each other. It was like 95, 96, 97, or 95, 97, 98, or whatever. And just to be clear, you were the 95 in that Yeah, I was, I was the okay. last of the three. Then there were two that were like, somebody had like 150, somebody else being Isaac Childress, had like 170 <laughs> points. Something ridiculous <laughs> like that. So, yeah, this was not not close at all. Uh, Did he I, double or nothing you on this game or something like that? I mean, he, I, was he hustling you? He, I, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I hadn't had <laughs> anything to drink that night. I was completely sober. I even took a nap. Oh, there's a problem. So I was completely like focused. I mean, it always makes me think maybe uh, you shouldn't play Gaia Project with five players. Well, I mean, not only that, like... Gaia Project is one of those games, and I could see where this would frustrate people, where if your engine is just behind, it's pretty hard to catch up. You're done. Yeah. If you make early mistakes, you're done. Yes. And you don't necessarily know that at the time. And the reason I love this game is because it didn't matter to me. I literally had fun all the way through. And the other thing is, you don't necessarily know unless you know the game really well. So I actually Mm. thought I was in it until I looked at the like tech tracks, and I realized that Everybody else had like three or four techs maxed out, and I had no chance of winning any of the end game goals either. And the same people who were winning the tech tracks were also winning the end game goals. And I was like, oh, my score, like the scores are pretty close throughout. Like I wasn't that far behind anybody else as far as the scoreboard goes. But when it came to end game scoring, I just got mm. absolutely. I assure destroyed. you that, that Isaac knew that you were. Oh, <laughs> I, I assure you that Isaac knew as well that I had that I was not in it. Although, again, last time I played, I surprised everybody with the end game scoring because I actually caught up quite a bit at the end of the game. So, yeah, I mean, mistakes were made. Clearly, there was I was I was using a race I had not used in the past, but I knew Isaac was bidding high on it, so I outbid him on it, which was apparently a mistake <laughs> so, because he just took the last race and which ended up being free. And uh, yeah, he, he, he managed to school us <laughs> with that race. I learned that I need to get better turn one strategies, apparently, because like I was out way before everybody else. And I thought I was being smart. Like I, I stopped early so I could be first in the second round and did all these things. And yeah. And then even one of the guys who ended up beating me again, but just by a point or two, like ended the second round with like, he did like one thing and he was completely done. That was like me last year. And yeah, he still ended up doing better. He was like at 16 <laughs> points or something when we were all at like 60 near the end of the game and we we're all laughing, like joking. And yeah, that guy still beat me. So uh, yeah, it didn't go well. Let me tell you, it, it did not It did not go as well as, uh, as I had hoped. So much for my uh, rematch. I had even practiced for it the day before playing solo, but it's very different, right? At, like solo, you're simulating a two-player game. I mean, it's very different the more players you get on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you really have like your own personal Rocky training montage for Gaia Project in advance of this? I did. I played solo on, on our uh, streaming channel. Yeah, so you can go check it out. My solo game, <laughs> I did way better than I did in my actual game at five players. Yeah. Should I have whiskey? Uh, I guess. I guess. So notes of the wise, bring whiskey. No, so I'm not. I'm looking at Board Game Geek now for pictures. Yeah, there's no five player games anyone is showing anywhere on there. Oh, that's because it says one to four in <laughs> yes. the box. It definitely says one to four in the box. Uh, and you would have to have two copies to play five players. And I don't think there is that many crazy people that have two copies. Although, like I said, one of the people there uh, did have two copies. You don't even have one copy. I don't. I have your copy. So <laughs> <laughs> I got one now. <laughs> All right. So you want to move on to Sunday? Yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, Sunday, we basically got up and left pretty early in the morning, but Mike had to go pick up Final Girl from AJ, so it was like an hour before the vendor hall opened, so we decided to play an exit game pretty quickly. Do you remember which exit it was? Cemetery of the Night. And it was an exit game. Yeah, it's kind of hard to play an exit game when you don't have scissors. Well, that was part of it. We we, we got about, I I would say, three quarters of the way through, and then we paused for a few times. I'd say two-thirds. Yeah, so uh, we have no idea. So it was a three-star out of five difficulty. I'm looking at it now. It felt harder than that. I mean, 
maybe we're just like I don't. I know. think we're still tired and yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was particularly hard. It was just the puzzles were a little obtuse. But anyway, yeah. So moving I mean, on. We didn't finish it yet. So we didn't finish it. But the other thing is, I, I feel like the exit games have gotten a little stale for me. Um, whereas the unlock games continue to evolve and become better. And I was thinking about this, and it might be because the exit games always have the same designers. So I think, you know, you you see repetitive more repetition in the puzzles than you do in something like Unlock, where I think each different scenario has like a different designer, which means you also have more potential variety as well there, right? Like, I mean, that, that could be a the quality. You might get like a bad set. Yeah, exactly. Unlock's laid a few days. Laid a few eggs too. Yes, I mean the Nautilus one is terrible. Yeah, the Abyss or whatever the heck that one was. That was awful. But beside that, like most of them have been pretty good. And I'm not saying that the exits have gotten worse for me. And and I'm sure there are good and bad ones for the exits as well. But they feel more samey to me than the unlocks do. I don't know if you all feel the same way as you've played more of them. I mean, Mike, you... you I mean, a, a, a challenge, like, I just uh, did a review of the exit advent calendar, I guess, from last year. I think the fact that the advent calendar is the same way as the one we just played, I think the fact that everything has to end up being a three-digit number every time, whereas, like, unlock, you'll often get to, like, the yellow locks where you need a four-digit number, but there's a ton of stuff in between that. You know what I mean? Sure. But literally, but literally exit is a series of finding three digit numbers and, and yes. full credit to the team who designs it. They make a lot of interesting ways for you to find those three digit numbers. But in the end, I do think that locks them in more. Yeah. It's the and three digit numbers and the fact that you're always putting it in a code wheel. Exactly. To get the thing. I, it exactly. makes it seem more samey. Unlock has its own samey things with, uh, you know, adding the components and, get sure. the puzzle number in it. Yep. But it, it seems to disguise it better than Exit does. Yep. And then, so Mike went to pick up the game, and Jerry and I played a game of Habitats, which we basically finished before Mike got back. Yes, we had, like, yeah. a couple of turns left. But, I mean, that tells you, by the time Mike walked to the hall, picked up a game, and walked back, we got a full game of Habitats in, and with rules explanation. So, I mean, it's a fairly quick game but what that helps no one determine how long it should have taken. We could have been in a hotel 20 miles away. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. So I don't know what. So probably like 30 minutes, 35 minutes to play it was the quick, game. Yeah. yeah, it was probably 35, 40 minutes. Uh, so what were your thoughts uh, on Habitats? Obviously, I liked it or I would not have bought it. I liked it. We were playing on a table that was a bit too small. So we had to yes. make a few adjustments there. But I thought it was fun. I'd play it again. I would not bother playing it with a little animal pieces that you have to root <laughs> out and put on top of it but the the core gameplay is was fun so on every tile not on every tile but on a lot of tile there's like an animal and so there's probably like 40 animals in the game maybe 50 and so you could buy as an upgrade as a kickstarter upgrade which is like the worst upgrade ever but i ended up buying it anyway knowing full well that this was the case like there is a unique animal meeple on each of the like each of these meeples is unique that matches one of the ones on the tile. So you are meant to look through all these and there's like 20 birds, right? To find the exact right bird, which is matches the one on your tile just to mark it. So you yeah. there are 68 individual animals. Yeah. It's a little ridiculous. <laughs> and like I don't know. Like the color is very hard to parse out like I don't know, is this going to be a pink one or a gray one? Or I mean, you kind of figure it out a little bit after a while, but yeah, the odds of, yeah, it, it's, it yeah, would, it would certainly it, add time to a 30 minute game. <laughs> like if you're talking about adding an extra 10 minutes. Now I will say in like a three or four player game, there's a little bit more downtime. I mean, not a lot, right? Like you're literally moving one space, picking up a tile and then like the next player can start their turn while the one player is determining where to put this tile. But it gives you something to do when it's not your turn, which is look through all these animals for ones you have on your tiles. But I, I thought it was a very fun little game. Both of the games I played were very close Although I don't think it's a problem because the one game I played with my wife, my wife and I were within like two or three points and the other player was like 30 points behind us. So I don't think it's necessarily like that everything is so well balanced that it's always going to turn out close. I I just think there is a certain level of skill threshold that you can have with this game and the games are going to play fairly close. 
I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun with it as well. And that is our PAX experience. Do we want to compare this quickly to other cons that we've been to and PAXs from the past as well? PAXs from the past. Say that five times fast. PAXs from the past. From the future. Well, I mean, I'll go first. I've been uh, every PAX except the one last year because uh, I had a work thing. I couldn't make it. This one, to me, seemed a bit smaller than they'd been in the past. The way it's organized seems to change every time I go, like which spaces of the convention center are being used and which spaces aren't being used and uh, you know how you go through security changes and how they do security changes. I wish they'd kind of settle down. <laughs> one, one thing I did notice on this one... For this one, uh, thankfully, they changed the way you register for events to go to an app-based registration system. So at 8 a.m., you'd go through the app and and pick what event you wanted to get to to register for, which is much nicer than it used to be, where you'd have to go to the convention center early and basically sit on the floor in a line to find out that maybe you got what you wanted, maybe you didn't, right? At least with the app, you know in 15 seconds whether you got it or not. I noticed the number of RPGs seems to be fewer. Uh, this year than it had been in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was only one block of Call of Cthulhu games, for example, and on Friday, and there was none on Saturday, which is a little weird. I'd say overall, my probably biggest criticism of PAX is that it's it's a very, very short convention. The convention doesn't open until 10 a.m. on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Uh, it closes at midnight, granted, but it's only a three-day con, and I don't know, at least for me, Sundays are basically waste. They're, they're the travel day. Yeah. Anyway, so it's really a two-day con that opens at 10 a.m. Just seems entirely too short uh, for what it should be. That said, it is certainly a much more game-playing con, I think, or more conducive to game-playing mm-hmm. than something like Gen Con, whereas Gen Con, I think, is more about the the hype and the new releases and the shopping and all that stuff. Why? Whereas PAX say, is a bit more about the games I'd or say playing the game. Over half the hall was dedicated to play space. Now, whether that was tournaments mm-hmm. or open play, whereas something like Gen Con is definitely not that way. It's definitely mostly vendor halls with quite a bit of gaming space, to be fair. But uh, oh, they have tons and tons of gaming events that you can register for. Like that whole upper hall is all Paizo games. The yeah. entire Lucas Oil Stadium is nothing but free play. Or not free play. Uh, board game library play no that's not tournaments it was board game library play well that's only the very end is the library but yes um but yeah there, there's a lot of tournaments and open gaming but you don't see many people in the library whereas pax unplugged that, that's like there, true there was a huge yes. line just to go through the library which oh yeah was, the entire time <laughs> yeah which i could see is annoying to some people but they definitely there was a lot of play going on for sure Whereas something like Gen Con, maybe there's a lot of play going on, but it's more spread out and you don't necessarily see it all at once. Except I guess that one main hall, there's a lot of play going on there at Gen Con. Yeah. I mean, Gen Con also charges you money to play in the events. You have to buy tickets, right? Where yes. PAX is, it's just the fee for the badge and then it's all, all the events are free if you can get them. Uh, I know Gen Con makes you pay for them to sort of balance the supply with demand. PAX basically leaves it to survive all the fittest on <laughs> who gets into what. So different pros and cons. But like I said, I, PAX is definitely more game playing oriented, I think. And Gen Con is much more hype, industry hype, and before, new releases, sales, that sort of thing. And before For we me, move on to Mike, just your quick thoughts on Origins too, because you've been to that one as well. Well, I went to the or the sort of the gimpy Origins that was like kind of half the size of a regular Origins. Yeah, during COVID. Yeah. So I hesitate to compare it to what it, like a normal Origins, but I can say for Origins, we spent most of our time not in the convention. We spent it playing games at the hotel with the Secret Cabal guys and their friends. So, And I will say that's uh, been my Origins experience every time I've gone, either playing in the hotel or playing at uh, a house that I was with with some people. That's where most of the game playing ended up happening. I would say the vendor hall is about the same for PAX and origins but origins is at a weirder time of the year origins is before gen con so there's not a lot of releases whereas pax is right after essen so you tend to have more stuff that you're interested in which is obviously also after gen con so i think pax is at a better time of the year than origins is i think you know origins if they can get some hype together and get some releases there would probably be a more exciting con, but you know, or vendor hall at least. 
but they feel about the same to me because we ended up spending most of our time, most of those games we talked about playing were played at the hotel. They weren't played there, even though there were a ton of open play tables. Most of the games we played were at the hotel. All right, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I've only been to PAX, so I can't compare to other ones. So how about... Fun again this year. Uh, it, it seemed, yeah, it's, in comparison to other years, it seemed more crowded to play games, tougher to get into the library to borrow games. The vendors seemed similar. I don't know, except for being more crowded for playing games, but also kind of seeming a little tighter and smaller. I, I, I didn't have any major differences or comparisons. I think the thing they did better this year, and Jerry mentioned it briefly, is crowd control, and there weren't as many lines. Now, we weren't there before the hall opened on day one, so maybe there was still a big queue or whatever else. But that's, There was. That's the one thing I remember most from the past, is even just getting through security, if you went out to get food, yes. took forever. It was miserable. The only thing that there was lines for that was that annoyed me was the paint. My son did it. Uh, my son and I did it both at Gen Con and Origins. Gen Con, they just took your name and they're like, "Come back in thirty minutes or whatever," which was great. At PAX, they made you stand in this line, which was really annoying because we basically wasted an hour to an hour and a half, like standing in this line to get into the paint thing. It would have been awesome if they just like, "All right, what's your name?" All right come back in a half an hour or, you know, give us their, your cell phone or whatever. Yeah. So, Pax so, loves their lines. So that was a little That's bit. Of, it's part of the culture of the, of the cons apparently, but they like got the packs, regular packs too, but it got way better for security lines. I, I will say. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Way better. 100%. So I think they're figuring it out. Um, I just hope they figure it out across the board. You said they figured it out for the RPG section. They figured it out for getting into and out of the con. So, like, they're just certain things, like the wild bills. Hopefully, they'll figure out a way that you don't have to stand in line all day for that thing, too. Although, you know, they're important. It wasn't. The line for that, for the refills, wasn't bad. It was just for the purchase. Well, Saturday was awful. It was awful. No, I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. And then, again, the paint stuff was the worst. Like, we literally wasted an hour waiting in line, which shouldn't be the case. So hopefully they figure that out. But beside that, I do like it. I do recognize that it's shorter, but it is a con just like most of them you can extend. If we'd gotten in on Thursday, you know, again, most of our game playing was in hotels. We could have played games Thursday night. It would have made it feel longer than, you know, basically just trying to cram everything into Friday and Saturday. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is definitely going to be the longest episode of the podcast if I don't break it up into two. So we'll see how we do it there. I don't want to edit this, so I might not. So uh, we'll see how that goes as well. It might just... I think think two episodes make sense. (laughs) And it may just go up as is also. So uh, there's that. One story could just be the PAX coverage, and the the second podcast can be your story of the Gaia Project game. Which took almost as long as the game, I think. My, my humiliating defeat in Gaia Project. <laughs> all right, Isaac, I'm coming for you next year, baby. That's all you need to know. Coming for you next year. <laughs> I'm going to do, I, I need a Mike slash Rocky training montage for like, oh, like an entire year of training. Like, I'm going to be like, you know, that underdog Mighty Ducks team that comes back. Uh, it'll be more epic when I do oh. eventually win in you know, tw- 2019. I, I think it's got a. It's got to end on a Emilio Estevez reference there. Yes, the Mighty Ducks. Yes. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us as always. Always a pleasure. Please leave comments about your PAX experience. Come join us in the Discord for more discussion about it. And we will see you soon. Bye. Good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey, guys. Yep. Yes, Peter. I didn't really hang out with my family on Saturday. I was just hungover all day and sleeping in the room. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which is... Hey, ha- we buy it. <laughs> That's half true. <laughs> <laughs>